Triple Play Fantasy Football Show back at you this week. And you'll notice a new host here. We got E-Mendy stepping in. I would say we kicked D-Mendy off, but he's been tweeting too much from his phone when he's supposed to be on vacation. But before <laughs> we get in anything, we do always want to say that we are a proud member of the Fantasy I'm telling everyone to use the code, Johnny. Triple play 22 to get 10% off any of the great stuff they have for football, for PGA. I mean, it's never ending over there. But I did mention Johnny, and I got to intro him in. How are you doing this Tuesday? It's it's good. It's good to hear how um, clear you are with the code on, like, D Mendy when he has – sometimes <laughs> I have to check him and make sure he mentions it. <laughs> yeah, we – it's like he doesn't even try to tell people how to de- how to get a discount. He just wants to dangle it out there, and we got a couple we people. make Albert. you the new host. We should be. We should be. <laughs> I, uh, I don't like hosting as much as David does, but happy to do it when he's gone. We got a couple people. Albert, Sports Wikipedia, and NBA rigged all checking in. Appreciate you guys tuning in, but we also got to talk to Mr. Bradley Kilgore himself, the Brad Stradamus. How you doing, my man? I can't complain, man. Before we were rudely interrupted by starting the show, we love to do. I was telling Johnny about uh, how he needs to watch The Gray Man on Netflix. So now I'm, I'm sending the word man? out for the rest of everybody listening to this. All right. I'm making a little bit of note of that. This is uh, This is where we segue into the movie minutes on there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, we got a question right away and it's, we're talking about running backs today and just kind of some breaking news or not breaking news. Chris Carson retiring early five years in the NFL with over 3000 rushing yards, 24 touchdowns. Anybody that's been paying attention to the sport in the last year know, knew that he had a serious neck injury I and mean, it's going to be a serious uphill battle for him to even play in a moderate fashion again. And he did the right thing for his health, hanging it up. Brad, what do you think about it? So I, you know, I, I'm happy for him. I I know he made a good amount of money in the league. Um, I'm sure he'd love to have more because he had plenty in the tank. But the neck is is something you can't mess with. Your neck and your spine. That's that's not something that you know you can fix over a couple surgeries. It's something that will dramatically, you know, worsen your quality of life as you continue to to go on and and you know do things outside of football. So I'm glad he. He finally decided to hang it up, and it's it's actually the same reason I'm worried about Justin Ross, uh, wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, he kind of slipped out of the draft. He was a first-round pick until he injured his neck, and then nobody wants to touch him now, and, and the Chiefs picked him up for cheap, and now he's on the IR. So um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Medicine's always improving. Surgeries are always, you know, getting better and, and improving exponentially, but I don't know. It's, it's a tricky thing. Oh. If only he wasn't a uh, a favorite NFL quarterback who could get HGH mailed to his wife or something and then somehow mm. recover. I don't know. Peyton Schmanning? <laughs> oh, just somebody's favorite quarterback. What I think mind. about is interesting with the Seahawks. They've had three players that I just thought off top of mind. Chris Carson, Cliff Averill, and Cam Chancellor that have all ended their careers early because of neck injuries. Yeah. And I know like it's obviously a freak accident, but just wondering if maybe it's the style of play that they – that they enforce there, that they encourage people to do. Not, not you know, I always hate on the Seahawks a lot, you know, the 49ers man cave thing, but it's just kind of an interesting observation that I had there. But, fellas, we're here to talk about active running backs for our rankings. And to piggyback off of the quarterback show we did last week, I think the first thing to talk about, especially as we enter a redraft season, is 
what's your strategy for drafting running backs? Um, I feel like this year, JT is the clear 101. And then after that, there's a little bit of ambiguity. Okay. Okay. But you haven't been looking at Brad's rankings. I, I, unless he's been updating them. But Johnny, I want to start with you. What's your approach this year for this position? I, I still love getting them early. I know zero RB is the new in vogue strategy, but there is really nothing as demoralizing as having a bunch of RB2s who don't even start on their own team because you get stuck with them because you haven't drafted somebody who even starts. And that's pretty much where I stand. You have to make sure you get two running backs who at least start for their team. They're not, they're not picking up some carries. They're not involved in the passing game. They start. I mean, go for the starters early. It's the scarce position in the fantasy world. Brad, what about you? How do you attack the position? I couldn't agree more with Johnny. I think, you know, so many things have to go right for you to have a successful zero running back strategy. Um, For me, running back is where I'll be spending my most expensive draft capital. I tend to look towards running back position for like my first two draft picks, unless I'm in a super flex league. Um, There's scarcity value for later in the draft and, a large chunk of your points are going to come from that position. And it also allows you to have like a cheaper, you know, clearer picture of who you're going to need to draft in later rounds for depth. Cause you can, you can look to draft those handcuffs of the starting running backs that you drafted earlier. So even if you have an injury, you're going to be set up later in the draft. So I, I love going for running backs early and I think it helps you draft clearly later in the, in later rounds. So I'm not going to disagree with you guys. I think it kind of depends on the pick you have. But here's the thing with going running back early. Let's look at the draft board last year. McCaffrey played about four games, was on IR. Derrick Henry had a great, great beginning of the season. Then he suffered the toe injury. Ezekiel Elliott was quote-unquote healthy enough to play, but was dealing with a sprained PCL and MCL. So the points per game production, I think, was about RB17. So at that point, like, you know, I think most first-round running backs, you know, Saquon was a bust for a good amount of the season. Like Jonathan Taylor was probably the hero running back in the first round. But if you went Devontae Adams or if you went Tyreek Hill or if you were able to get Justin Jefferson in early round two, you know, wide receivers get hurt less. And if you look at the uh, running back leaders for the fantasy playoffs, weeks 14 to 16, number one was Rashad Penny, who was a waiver wire pickup. And number two is Devin Singletary, who is a late round flyer in most drafts. I think when you draft a running back early, then you have to draft their handcuff early. So you're locking up two roster spots and not taking the best player available in later rounds just so that you can get that insurance there. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think it's just kind of interesting, and especially with draft spot. And uh, Albert comes in and says he likes doing the hero running back strategy. (laughs) And Rick checking in. How do you guys factor O-line when it comes to running back ranking? Here are top five O-line run blocking teams. Well, I feel like after today's report, you got to put the Bengals in there. But I think that's a good question. Like, how much do you factor in offensive line? You know, I I mainly factor it in when it's a noticeably bad offensive line. Um, If it's middle of the road or good, I I tend to just lean towards what – you know, that running that specific running back's performance has been for the past years and, and what his, you know, his outlook looks like and his, you know, his touches are going to look like this year. But unless a, an outline is, you know, particularly bad, I'm not really worried about it. And it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because if they had a good O-line last year, they're going to 
likely do better and they're going to look better going into this season. So it's kind of, you know, it's part of the whole package because their O-line play obviously impacts their previous year and how you feel about them, even whether you know it or not. And it also compounds upon itself, right? Like if you have a good O-line, it probably means they're going to have a good running game. If you have a good running game, you're controlling the clock and you're probably leading the whole game. If you're leading the whole game, you have a, a game script that leans towards running more and running out the clock to end the game. So you kind of, if you have that good running back, good O-line, good team combo, you're in for huge years, like a Derrick Henry type Tra- season. Transitive property uh, for running back value broken down by Brad right there. there I go. agree. I agree. I think I pay more attention to when a team has a really bad offensive line compared to a good one. And and you can see it just watching football, who has time and who doesn't. But NBA I mean, rig trying to make us do top five lines off the top of our head. Yeah, like I, I don't. I, for that, I would go by Madden ranking probably. Um, but I mean, let's talk about now, not just O line now, but kind of who we're liking this year and, and who we're fading. But I mean, for your early round picks, who is someone that you are more bullish on than the consensus? And Brad, I'll go back to you for this. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably overdrafting him because, you know, the James Robinson news means he's, you know, not as injured as I, as I thought he would have been, but my pick is Travis Etienne. Um, he's got an ADP of 46 at present. So you'll be able to scoop him up around the fourth round. James Robinson was the starter, but he'll be coming back from his Achilles injury, which means that ATN is probably going to be the lead dog with very little competition. He's got speed. He's got great hands. He's no stranger to Trevor Lawrence as they played together in college. You know, there's a reason he was a first round pick in the NFL two years ago. So I, this is going to be the first time we're going to see him, but he's got the whole skill set. He can catch out of the backfield. He can run it down your throat. He's fast enough to run around you. He's just a really talented running back, and I'm excited to see what he can do if, if James Robinson isn't taking a bunch of touches from him. And for those that haven't checked it out on our YouTube video, Brad actually made a more detailed uh, breakdown of why he thinks CTN is going to be a great running back and exceed his ADP. This what a year. teammate, Doc, with those, the perfect plug. I got you. I got you. I mean, it's, hey, you put in the work and, you know. Perfect that's, plug, that's, like the blonde, LeBron James's hairline. Yeah, oh, there man. we go. There we go. A shot at LeBron. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. John, what about you? Who's the guy that you're liking? Is this is this a steal or somebody I'm overdrafting? I somebody you're sure overdrafting. Some somebody you're overdrafting in the probably we'll say first five rounds. Okay. Okay. Good. Because then it would not be Ramondre Stevenson. A little sneak peek. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, but uh, it's it's Najee Harris. You know, he showed it last year. No QB. No problem. It doesn't matter. He's the worst QB, the better almost, because he's going to get all these little short, dinky passes uh, because there's just no other option for uh, Big Ben's bad arm last year. Mitch Trubisky's just the ability this year. So I really think the sky's limit there. You're worried about he's not going to get the carries because they're not going to be up a lot. But if the offense just runs through him completely through the passing game anyway, it doesn't really matter. John, you and I both have him as the third-ranked running back in our PPR settings. In a non-PPR, I would put him two behind Jonathan Taylor, and that's my answer as well. He had 207 carries last year, which was second to Jonathan Taylor, and I'd say that he probably has the least crowded backfield behind him because like, even if you look at the Colts, they have Naeem Hines. With the Steelers, it's Anthony McFarlane, Benny Snell. Like They drafted a first – they used a first-round pick on him last year, 
because they thought that might have been the missing piece for Ben. Now they're getting a quarterback in Trubisky, who we assume is the starter, that's going to be a little bit more mobile. I assume the offense is going to take a step up from last year. I mean, Big Ben had 23 rushing yards combined the last three seasons. So that really limits the creativity you can have on the offense. And I, I think it's just the sky, the ceiling, the sky's the limit for this guy. I said sky's the limit. You can't steal it. The ceiling is <laughs> the roof. The ceiling is but the I roof. I would there say he is more complete than Dalvin, especially if you take into, uh, um, you know, take into account durability. I, I would say at this point, I, I, in most settings, I've seen Najee taken ahead of Dalvin. And I get it because Dalvin has been proving it for a while. The durability is a big cost or big concern. Rick brings up another question. So ETN versus CEH versus Elijah Mitchell. Who has the more complete skill set, better fantasy value? Well, CEH just got put on the pup list. So I think we yeah. can take him out. I'm a 49ers <laughs> fan. And anytime you think you know the running back backfield, you don't. We've had five different leading rushers the last five years. And I say we because, once again, I point to the – if I could just point to it in the back there, um, the banner. So you take the 49ers running back that you can get at the best value in ADP. So it might be TDP. It might be Trey Sermon. Maybe you get shot Kyle Juszczyk in the last round. What do you guys think? I um I agree with you. I, I actually have – so on Fantasy Pros, I have my uh, rankings out. RB19, I have Elijah Mitchell. And then RB24, I have Travis Etienne. Um, in my personal drafts, I've been drafting Etienne more than Elijah Mitchell for the reasons that Doc just highlighted. Um, you, you just don't know what's going to happen with that 49ers backfield. But I have to project as if you know Elijah Mitchell is going to be the starter. And if he's going to be the starter, I think that that running back uh, – uh, offense has historically performed really well over the past like six years. So um, I think Mitchell has the better skill set, um, but it's probably Etienne who has a better situation. I agree. And John, I want you to answer this one. Where would you rank Jonathan Taylor's receiving ability? I mean, I would say it's, you know, it's nothing to write home. He's not the best receiving back in the league, but it's, it is where it needs to be. And he gets the carries. I'm not, ever super upgrading him because of um, any catches out of the backfield uh, through him, especially because, you know, the Colts are due to use any sort of, you know, gadget running back in that role anyway. But it just is the great bell cow, and he is going to get a few catches a game, which is really all you need on top of the carries. Yeah, he had 40 catches for 360 yards and two touchdowns last year. I think the thing that's interesting to monitor as we go into this year is the Colts' offensive scheme is probably going to be a little bit different with Matt Ryan behind, uh, you know, play calling rather than Carson Wentz. I mean, this is the third year in a row that they've rotated quarterbacks from Rivers to Wentz to Matt Ryan. So I'd say just expect a little bit different. I think JT is going to be primarily the, you know, one and two, first and second down. Um, but they paid Hines, and he excels in a pass-catching role. Speaking of Matt Ryan, I thought uh, I thought Julio Jones might have signed with the Colts, but – Sports Wikipedia just brought up they signed with the Bucks. I think that's a pretty wild signing. What do you think? It is pretty wild. I mean, the thing is, he's missed 14 games in the last two seasons, so he'll be good for a couple of those games he plays. Still <laughs> talented. Just we talk about with Dalvin Cook, it's the durability. But on the flip side, now you know we talk about the the people we're loving, we're overdrafting. But John, who's a guy that you're fading that for his ADP you probably won't get any shares of? Um, I, he's not super 
high on most people's rankings, but uh, J.K. Dobbins, I just think between, you know, an almost committee over there, Mike Davis and Gus Edwards to fight with, um, as well as his injury concerns, you know, he says he's fine, but there's a reason that report came out. You know, um, somebody said something to to somebody, and that's, you know, a little cause for concern. I know there's going to be a lot of carries in Baltimore to share, but I think uh, once it gets to the point where, you know, Mike Davis will be catching passes and being a little bit, uh, you know, an extra versatility. And, you know, Gus Edwards is is fantastic. And a lot of the carries still are going to go to Lamar too. You know, despite the run heavy offense, it, it may not be all there for him this year. Yeah. And most people just think he tore his ACL last year. There was meniscus damage um, to that as well. And, you know, I think the, everybody just thinks because Cam Akers and Adrian Peterson came back in a timely fashion, and that's the norm. And, you know, for anybody that read the Tariq Cohen letter to himself, they realize just because it says torn ACL that you don't know exactly what's going through people's rehab, their mental state, and the Ravens will probably want to ease him in. You know, as, as Brad talks about all the time, ACL injuries are typically two-year recoveries and that they don't like, um, you know, really pushing it the first year. Brad, what about you? Who's the guy that you're fading? It's got to be Nick Chubb for me. Um, I have him ranked as my RB5, and I really hate it. Um, Watson looks like he's going to get a suspension of some sort, but how long directly affects Chubb's outlook? Um, Kareem Hunt, he's on a contract year, and part of Chubb's big season last year was that Hunt was hurt. So they had to piecemeal those third down backs behind Chubb, and Hunt will also get third downs and entire drives. You know, um, Sometimes he's that dynamic that, He's also going to be on the field with Chubb in some packages. So I can see a scenario where Chubb underperforms that RB5 and goes into that RB20 area. And if I'm going to draft a running back at RB5, I don't want to have that floor of RB20. Like I got to be more comfortable that he's going to be in the RB10 or or above if it's a bust season. Would your opinion change if you knew Watson would be suspended four games? Yes. It okay. would. That's it fair. Looks like it's been looking like anywhere from like two to eight to a year. So I have no idea. Yeah, what to there's a lot of ambiguity regarding that. And, and uh, frankly, Watson it, hasn't played in, you know, over a year. Like we don't even know I, what kind of rust. I he's feel like have. they got to come to a decision soon. Cause like the season's yeah. going to start. They, 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 said there's a no, they said there's a no rush, you know, regarding him and Camara who has, I, I know, feel felt- like they have to, f- Figure it out before the first game. Apparently, I hope so. Or they, or they put them on the exempt list while they continue to figure it out. Apparently, um, they're taking so long because, or the judge is the arbitrator is taking so long because he wants or she wants uh, Watson and Goodell to come to a, a an agreement of the suspension beforehand. The shaking hands emoji. The yeah. agreement it that doesn't look say, like it's happening. Yeah, let's let's sweep the evidence under the rug, slap six <laughs> games, hope you ball out and everybody forgets. That's the thing. Like Goodell wants to do a year and Watson wants like obviously way less than that. So it's yeah. it's a bad um, situation all around. Yeah. I, I'm with it. And you know, we had mentioned Camara. That's another person in the monitor. He's a fade for me right now just because um there's video. Oh, that's an easy and, fade. And, well, no, no. Well, I'm, I'm going to talk about my real one, but I do think it's worth mentioning oh, okay. that there is a video out there that shows him putting the hands on the person who was assaulted. It's a felony charge. And what we've seen is video changes everything with the Kareem Hunt video with Ray Rice. If video comes out of Alvin Kamara stomping on someone that's unconscious, 
there's no way that he can get away with just a four-game suspension. That's a really bad I mean, PR. He hit. might be in jail for longer than the suspension at that rate. Like exactly. I don't know the, the exactly <laughs> like the, so, what he's running into or when the trial is going to be, but like that's yeah. as big but, of an issue as just what the commissioner wants to do yeah. is his so actual legal issue. He's not a he's a do not draft right now for me. But the other one, and I've caught a lot of slack on it for Twitter, that's Saquon Barkley. And I don't know how you can justify taking a guy that hasn't really produced since his rookie season. And I, I, I'm going to plug myself. I did a video of why to avoid him. You're chasing a historic 2018 season where he had the most amount of big plays, which are 20 plus yard runs since Adrian Peterson had 2000 yards rushing in 2012. Um, he's had significant damage to his right leg, a high right ankle sprain, the torn ACL, but also meniscus and more ligament damage in regards to that. Um, he was actually the least explosive runner last year. And I know the the Giants improved their offensive line and they're getting a better head coach, but he hasn't done anything in recent years. Like remember when people drafted him last year and they said, well, you're going to sit him the first couple of games because he's playing the Broncos and then he has to face the Eagles and they have a good run defense. Like you, that shouldn't be a contingency for somebody you're taking in the first round. Um, I'm not going to get him in any drafts, and I know that, and I'm willing to accept that I'm wrong, but it's like chasing that memory of the girl that was popular or hot in high school and hoping that she's that same person. And Eric coming back obvious. from his high school reunion last weekend. <laughs> yeah, me and John just had our tenure, so that's probably why the analogy is, is at the oh, Did you go? How was it? it? It was good. It was 60 to 80 people. It was actually a pretty good turnout. Brad, NBA rigged asked a really good question. I want you to hop in with here. So what's the correlation for running back contract here? Are they more likely to ball out or do they want to avoid injury, um, which could affect the money that they're going to make in future years? So I'll admit, you know, all of my evidence is completely anecdotal. I haven't actually done a deep dive into the numbers of, you know, what the actual correlation between a contract year and performance is. But in terms of every you know, player that I can imagine and every player that I, you know, remember watching, typically contract year means somebody's about to ball out. You know, it means that they're going to try to do everything they can to get the most money possible in the free agent market. Um, I think the big, the big joker, the big boogeyman of that would be, you know, Baker Mayfield situation last year. But um, I, I think that was almost also an example of why you want to, bet on somebody that's in a contract year because he played hurt that entire year and he shouldn't have, but he played hurt because he thought it would prove how much of a winner he could be. He thought it would prove how much of a, a great, you know, team guy he could be and, and a leader he he would be because of that. And it backfired on him because he played poorly and that's all anybody ever cares about. But um, I think typically when somebody's in a contract year, you want to bet on them. So if I was Baker, I would have held out the moment the Browns uh, were eliminated in the postseason, but after they beat the Steelers, because that was the most success and he had nothing else to prove at that point. Me too. That was but that's hindsight, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, moment, hind he, yeah. it's hindsight, but I also think, like like you said, Brad, I mean, it's you don't want to get too greedy on the market, and I think he could have gotten a reasonable extension at that point. No um, Rigged, appreciate you, the comments on the Camara take, and then Sports Wikipedia chiming in, Giants haven't had the best success since that yacht photo. Yeah, I will maybe. say on uh, on Barkley, um, last year he was coming out uh, from that injury, as you mentioned, but 
2018, he finished RB2. 2019, he finished RB12. 2020, he played two games. And then last year, we talked about. So I'm not sure that it's chasing, you know, just one year of success. It's chasing, you know, this two-thirds of, of so he was, data so, that we have on him. So he and was with, a, with everybody fading him, it's almost time to jump back on. Exactly. He has, he has almost 700 career touches, and I, I have to double-check this. I think that's 14th among active players. Like, he's had a lot of work. And he's he also 25 or 26. Like, that's very young to be worried okay, about. Okay, look at the Todd Gurley drop-off. The injuries start to pile up. Todd Gurley is still but like not active. yet. Okay. I, I'd rather be a, a year too early than too late. Barkley last year coming off ACL injury in the first year. to be just on And time. second ACL should be improved. Look, I'm still I'm putting it in. Out, and Brad, Brad, you Brad, you and I were out on Saquon last year. I, I we hope were, I'm we wrong. Were. I hope I'm wrong. I don't root for injuries. And we I were, we were both people. out on Saquon last year, and we both proved to be right based on his ADP. And this year, we're, we're a little flip-flopped. But I, um, I'm I, I get what more, you're saying. You're, I'm everything you're saying is based take. on logic. More of my take is the Giants misused him and ruined him rather than his, 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 his skill set. Obviously, he's the top five running back, no doubt. But for the last segment of the show... You know, we all get into the later rounds, and those are some running backs that you can hit on. Thinking of the James Connors last year, that can provide that RB one upside that maybe everybody isn't talking about. So, John, who's somebody? And uh, maybe it's Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, I read it a little bit just to make sure I didn't jump on the wrong segment <laughs> too early. But I think he's an an easy RB one if um, Damian Harris gets hurt. You know, but that's just you know not out of pure handcuff. He's going to be involved in the passing game, if only because Brandon Bolden and James White are no longer on the Patriots. And I know it's going to be a new offense, but I can't imagine they change it too much uh, from what's worked with them in the past, and especially Mac Jones's skill set. So I think he's going to be in, heavily involved in the passing offense at the worst. And he has shown previously, you know, Patriots rotating running backs, that he has that uh, RB1 upside. Well, so you really hope that he doesn't appear late to practice a la Jonas Gray. But I mean, John, to, to your point also, you mentioned like the Patriots rotate running backs all the time and they drafted Pierre Strong this that, year. And they have a, that's why he's in the late round. That's why he's yeah. a draft yeah, steal. Yeah, that's why you're not taking yeah. him early. Yeah, no, I, I, I certainly get it. I mean, does it not? Uh, are you not worried at all with Damian Harris in a contract here that the Patriots really ride him out? I mean, it really it. And it really comes down to two. I mean, they haven't even named an offensive coordinator. I don't think they will. So everything, everything we're talking about, historical straight. preferences, is almost moot. But I'm going with historical preferences. And if they rotate their running backs, I think that gives you good upside on a week-to-week basis for somebody in the late rounds um, rather than, you know, we're not targeting him in, you know, early, early, early for that I'll- exact reason. I'm with you. And I, and as mentioned, I think with the crowded backfields or ambiguous situations, Patriots, 49ers, you're usually better off going with the later priced uh, value on that. Brad, and if, I he know has, you do a- if he has a hot streak, that's, you know, three games, you can start somebody who you drafted at the tail end of your draft. You start him three games and the next game, he gets four carries for 10 yards and <laughs> you're frustrated. Brad, I know you do a lot of deep digging. You got a lot of great insight. I'm curious to hear who your sleeper is this year. Yeah, so I'm going James Cook. Um, he's Buffalo. He's Buffalo's backup rookie running back. He's the brother of Dalvin Cook, so he's got those pro genes. 
and there's been news that Devin Singletary is getting every first team snap, but that coaching staff keeps Singletary on a very short leash. Um, whenever he has a fumble or he's not having a good game, he loses carries to the backup. So in his draft class, he was in the 94th percentile for speed. He clocked a 40-yard dash time of 442. Um, that speed wasn't just for show, it was effective. He was in the 86th percentile with 6.6 yards per carry in college. Um, his skill set isn't just in the running game either. He managed to hit the 67th percentile for running backs in college target share at 8.2% for a running back, which is pretty massive. Um, a running back that can run in between the tackles and catch out of the backfield is something that any team would covet. And the Bills have been trying to do that in the aggregate with Singletary and Moss for the past couple of years. So I think Cook has the ability to beat both of those players in one. And I'm going to be interested to in see what happens, you know, towards, you know, the middle of the year. If Singletary isn't cutting it, I, I think they might really let James Cook loose. I don't think that anybody can talk about James Cook without preluding that he's brother of Dalvin. I Cook. know. I know. You got I mean, a amount of times, amount of times you're going to hear that on the broadcast. It's going to be <laughs> up there with, you know, oh, they played basketball or, you know. Yeah. yeah oh, exactly. I played basketball in college. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, uh, AJ Seth Curry, Brown. brother of Steph Curry. Yeah, AJ <laughs> Brown and uh, and Jalen Hurts got breakfast together. Yeah, um, yeah. And Brad, oh, Kyler Murray's you know played a lot of baseball. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's there. We go. We could go on with this all day, Brad. I think it's really interesting what you mentioned about Singletary. So as mentioned, he was RB two in the fantasy football playoffs, and his yeah. attempts were 22, 12, and twenty three, and caught six passes during that time. He was targeted eight times. And then what we saw in the playoffs was the Bills went away from that and they scored 47 and 36 points. And in those two games, Singletary had a combined 26 rushing attempts. So I think when they kind of secured the division and they knew that they were going to be a top two seed last year, they started giving Singletary a little bit more run. But it's Josh Allen's team and James Cook is the better value. And, you know, Singletary's targets in the playoffs. He had nine in those two games as opposed to nine that he had in the final three regular season games. So I think anybody that can catch passes in Buffalo in the backfield is the person that you're going to want to get. Um, Rick jumps, Rick jumps in with another question. Um, who's the better football player, James Cook, Rashad White, Isaiah Spiller. How would you rank the three? All right. That's a tough one. But Football player is different for fantasy situations. I'm going, I'm going Spiller one, Cook two, Rashad White three. So I have uh, James Cook at RB45. I have Isaiah Spiller at RB65. And then I don't even have um, Rashad White in my, my top 75. I'm just not sure he's going to get the touches in that Tampa Bay offense. I think it's going to be Lenny Fournette and – you know, Giovanni Sean Bernard Vaughn. and Keyshawn Vaughn. Vaughn. Yeah, and like there's just, them there's just a lot there. Julio Jones, like Tom Brady might throw 40 times a game. It's, and they, it's, they honestly might not run at all. Rashad <laughs> White has that. incredible, he has incredible talent. He's obviously a friend of the pod. Dave interviewed him, but I just think he's in a very tough situation this year. Yeah, we're all outlets here plugging one another in. Um, you know, it's funny with Rick bringing up Isaiah Spiller. I had a couple. I had Rojo. Um, David and I have been touting him up a lot this offseason. I think he's the most talented runner the Chiefs have. And with CEH on the pup list, I think that opens the door. I know there were rumors that he gets potentially cut, but 
I don't think McKinnon's an every down back. I don't think they're going to roll with Derek Gore to begin the season. They got Ronald Jones on a one-year contract, and he's averaged about 4.8 yards per carry the last couple of years. He does have fumbling issues and pass protection issues, but he's going to a new head coach where he's not in the doghouse. But I felt like that might be a cheat one since CEH just came out. So ironically, I had Isaiah Spiller as the other. And this just goes from what Austin Eckler said on our pod, another plug there. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, it's int- like a running back saying those hits hurt. Like Austin Eckler is a jack dude to say, yeah, taking hits hurt. I don't mind taking some plays off to preserve my body. Like doesn't sound like he's saying, okay, Isaiah Spiller, here you go. But doesn't sound like he has a problem with seceding some touches to him. And Eckler had 20, Eckler had 20 touchdowns last year. So let's just say it goes down to 13 or 14. That opens up six to seven more. And I think the Chargers are going to be playing in a lot of shootout games this year with the division they're in. That's six games that have the potential to be very high scoring. And I'm not really scared of Larry Lound, Larry Roundtree, even though I'm a fan of his. Justin Jackson isn't there. Joshua Kelly was healthy and active. I think take a flyer on Spiller. I like that. I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. But we just hit the 34-minute mark, a little over. Um, but I think really great discussion. And, uh, you know, the, the I think the pod went better without David. David, if you're listening to this, get get off your phone. Enjoy Ireland. It's, it is what is it? What time is it in Ireland? It's twelve oh seven a.m. So, oh, so he's still drinking a Guinness. No, no, he's probably playing golf. He's trying to find whatever golf courses are open. But it's open at midnight. <laughs> David would do that. He loves golf a lot. But before we get out of here, I want to give John and Brad any chance to plug something they're working on, Johnny. I want to plug Brad's um, plug of Travis Etienne. Um, TV show theme song Power Hour is finished, but I don't know if YouTube will let me play it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You can't tease us like that. John, your Power Hours <laughs> are the top things Fridays and Saturday nights. I always see a, a little spike. Um, and I've given you some views, too. Brad, anything you want to plug? Yeah, man, I, I've had a bunch of articles um, dropping on FantraxHQ.com. Um, they're, they're, we've been pumping out a lot to put in the football draft kit, get people ready for draft season. Um, and a lot of those I'm going to start making into uh, videos on the Triple Play Fantasy YouTube channel. Um, so you can check us out there. And I'm also on uh, Fantasy Pros. You can check out my rankings there as well. So that's pretty much it for now. But we're going to have a lot coming. Yeah, and make sure you follow Brad at Sir Bradley K. He has Twitter hiatuses, but I feel like if more people start following him, then he's going to feel the need to tweet more. That's Rick, a good point. Appreciate you checking in um, every week. You're one of our favorite guys to interact with. Blessings Rick, to you as I'm well. I'm about to beat him down in fantasy football this year. I'm in his league. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, just make sure you, you follow us on the YouTube channel. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Um, it means a lot for us. If you can like, comment on the videos. I got you. And, uh, you know, apparently there's a Javante Williams video coming. So um, he's he's a polarizing guy. Field Gates did call David the Javante Williams of analysts. So (laughs) I guess I guess we'll see what that means to Brad. But for Doc, (laughs) Donnie, Brad, I'm not going to do David's uh, bang on or whatever he's doing. I think Uh, he did a new one last week. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Did he? I missed it. What did he do? Yeah. It it was like bang on or something like that. But I'll just say, 
for everybody that that follows, interacts with us. We appreciate you guys, and we're one week closer to football. See you guys next time.